Hello and welcome to What The Bump. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse who oddly enough has no kids, yet a huge passion for informing and empowering women on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me every week as we dive in to all things prenatal, postnatal, birth, and so much more. So let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to What The Bump. I hope you guys have had an amazing day and I'm sure you are trying to stay as busy as you can during this quarantine. Stay as into your normal routine and as your normal schedule as you can. But, you know, I was really trying to think about how to intro this podcast and how to just talk about things other than coronavirus because I feel like that is all you hear, all you talk about every time you go on the TV, go on the internet, go on Instagram, TikTok, even literally anything, any media platform. It is just all about the coronavirus and I want to talk about it. I want to give recognition to all the frontline workers, nurses, including myself, who are facing this and fighting it every single day. But it's also very important for our own sanity that we talk about things other than the coronavirus and that we just try to obviously alter our lives, but also just try to remain hopeful and positive and just know that this is going to end. So with that being said, I do not want to talk about the coronavirus. I am so thankful for everybody who is working and battling it with me and I hope that we all can just continue to do our part to stay home and that this will blow over and yeah that's basically all I really have to say about it right now but today is a fun little episode I have for you. I want to talk about epidurals, what it is like to get an epidural, what are the risks of an epidural, what are the benefits of the epidural and all the things. So let's dive right into talking about an epidural. This is a great episode if you're a first time mom and you're kind of debating on an epidural. You're maybe on the fence. You kind of know what it is. You know that it takes away the pain while you're in labor but I'm really just gonna go into exactly what it is and you can decide for yourself after you feel educated about an epidural because that's the most important part I don't care what you pick I just want you to make an informed decision and pick what you think is right for you based on what you know so let's jump right into epidurals so you might have heard of an epidural being called an epidural block or a spinal block or a combined spinal epidural they're kind of different kind of the same so really quick just in general for an epidural it's an anesthesiologist who does it or a crna they numb up your back they use a tiny needle to guide in basically a small plastic catheter into the epidural space of your lower back so it does go in your lower back we kind of have you hunch over I always tell my patients think about like a Halloween cat you know like a black cat that like is up on their toes with their back hunched out I always tell them to do that to get into the position takes them about five ten minutes to insert depending on how still you can be and how quickly they can find that epidural space and then they obviously remove the needle they leave just the tiny plastic catheter in your back and it's like a little plastic tube and then that is how we give you medications so that is how we give you your continuous epidural medication throughout your labor and it takes about 10 to 15 minutes to actually start kicking in after the epidural is placed so about 10 minutes to place it 10 minutes to completely kick in and most of the time it works very well there are times though where it takes maybe longer than 10 minutes maybe 30 minutes to completely kick in sometimes you need to get medications adjusted you might need a higher continuous dose you might need what we call a redose a couple hours in when your labor really picks up and that's just basically where they give you a little another dose and little another bolus of that um, anesthesia medication and then you can also have basically where your epidural is one-sided so when anesthesia puts in your epidural they'll kind of ask you do you feel do you feel like i'm on the right side of your back the left side of the back or the middle of your back and they're just trying to gauge and make sure that they're not going to give you a one-sided epidural it happens it does it stinks um, but sometimes when patients will say 
I feel nothing on my right side, but I'm feeling every contraction only on my left side. So I'll try to roll them onto that left side, if that makes sense, just because epidurals will work with gravity. So if you are not feeling anything, on like you, you don't feel the epidural working on your left side, if I lay you onto that left side, hopefully gravity will pull that epidural medicine down to that left side. I try to leave my patients like that for 10, 15 minutes, maybe rotate them again. And still, if we cannot get any numbness onto that left side, anesthesia might have to come and redo your epidural because they can become one-sided. Epidurals are also used in case you have to have an emergency C-section. Let's say during your labor, something happens and you need an emergency C-section. Sometimes if you do not have an epidural, we will just put you completely asleep and you'll have to go to PACU to recover after. If you have an epidural though, most of the time, we can just give you a lot stronger medications through that already existing epidural in your back. And that will really numb you up to enable us to be able to do a C-section. Also, I want to say that epidurals do not run out. So there can be like this misunderstanding that patients will say, oh, you know, I really want to wait as long as I can to get my epidural. And that's fine if you have reasons for wanting to do that. But a lot of people will say, oh, I want to wait as long as I can because I really don't want it to run out by the time that I push. And that is not true. Epidurals do not run out. I don't know. Honestly, I, I don't know if like back in the day, that's kind of how they worked. They like ran out or maybe they just did spinals back then. I'm not sure. But epidurals that we do in 2020 in the hospital, you are connected to a continuous pump that infuses at whatever rate anesthesia sets it to. And then you also have an epidural button. It's kind of like a little pain control button and you can push it. And it has a certain lockout. So ours, most of ours, you can push every 12 minutes up to three times an hour. And you push it and it will give you like a mini bolus into your back if you're having like some breakthrough pain just to help get that under control. But your epidural will not run out. It does not run out. It is a continuous infusion up until you give birth. And then after you give birth, you've delivered your placenta. We've done all the suturing and repairing that we need to do. Only then does your nurse actually discontinue your epidural and just slide that little catheter right out of your back. You really don't even feel it. So what does an epidural actually do? So it causes the loss of feeling and numbness in the lower part of your body. So it mainly works from like mid belly diaphragm down. It really depends on the person, but it will cause numbness in that lower part of your body causes like a tingling sensation, basically makes your lower body kind of feel like dead weight to the person who's in labor. You do remain fully awake and alert, obviously throughout the entire epidural, throughout your whole labor. I've had patients who've been in labor for a very, very long time and had an epidural for over 12 hours and they just, they remain numb and they remain fully alert and awake. The other thing that I wanted to touch on is some people talk about a spinal block. So a spinal block is just like an epidural, but it's kind of more like a one-time epidural. It lasts about an hour or two. So the epidural is put in your back. It's continuous. It stays there. It keeps you numb for as long as it's in. Spinal block is just, they go into that epidural space and they give you a dose of medicine and then they take everything back out. So there's no catheter left in. There's no continuous infusion. It's just like a one-time injection into that epidural space to give you temporary relief that will wear off in about an hour or two. Being a labor and delivery nurse, I will say, I feel like almost all of my patients get epidurals and I don't, I don't mind it. I love natural labors. I I just love to labor natural patients. Some nurses prefer to labor a patient who has an epidural just because they can be more in control. But I personally just love laboring natural patients. There's just something about it that the woman is obviously feeling every contraction, every pain, every second that they push, they feel it. And there's just something oddly beautiful about it. But I feel like 90% of my patients get epidurals, but I actually looked up the statistic and they say that over 60% of people giving birth in the US either have a spinal epidural or a spinal block during labor, which I thought 60% seemed 
not accurate to me, at least in my experience being a labor and delivery nurse, but I guess I do work in the hospital. So I'm sure I see a lot of more people who do get epidurals. That's probably, I'm sure a lot of that number comes from birthing centers, people birthing from home and things like that. That kind of makes it that 60%. So that's just a fun little fact for you. So let's quickly cover a couple benefits and risks of an epidural. Like I said, the main benefit of an epidural is going to be pain management. So epidurals numb you from the waist down, hopefully taking away the pain that you feel from your contractions and from pushing. You will always feel pressure with an epidural. So I always describe that to my patients. I always say that an epidural's goal is to take away pain, but it is not going to make your childbirthing experience 100% pain-free, pressure-free, all the things. That's a very bad misconception to get yourself tied into because you might go into labor assuming, oh, I'm going to get an epidural. I'm not going to feel a single thing. And that's going to be how it is. And that's not true. People who come in with that expectation end up severely disappointed when they do feel some pressure and they do feel maybe a little bit of pain. And that's normal. You're birthing a child. And I always describe that to my patients. You're having a baby and no amount of epidural that is safe for you and the baby is going to take away all of that feeling. And you really don't want it to. We want you to be able to feel where to push. We want you to be able to know when you're having a contraction and push with that contraction, just because that's going to be the most effective way to get your baby out. However, the main benefit of an epidural and why people get them is for the pain management. Cochrane Review published a 2018 study. And like I always say, they are the ones who do most of the OB studies. But they looked at 40 different studies and over 1,100 participants. They compared people who received the epidural, which is the continuous medication infusion, the spinal, which is just the one-time dose, and the combined spinal epidural to those people who received either no pain medications or received just like opioid injections either in their arm or their IV for temporary pain medication relief. And this showed that the epidural lowered their pain on an average of two to three points. So people who had the epidural from a zero to 10 rated their pain two to three points less on average than people who did not have the epidural. People who also had the epidural reported their pain relief to be either excellent or very good. So this kind of concluded that epidurals are going to be the most effective way to reduce pain and increase maternal satisfaction with pain relief compared to non-epidural methods of pain relief, such as a spinal or opioids. People with epidurals experience less nausea and vomiting compared to the people who received opioids. And when I say opioids, I just want to clarify that too. That is basically in labor. You do have the option to receive opioid medications for your pain. At my hospital, I really don't know what other hospitals use. At my hospital, we use a medication called Stadol. And it lasts, in my experience, I would say it lasts about an hour, depending on how active of labor you are in. We don't like to give it after six centimeters just because it does get transmitted across the placenta to the baby, which is fine when they're in utero, it wears off pretty quick. But let's say I give it to you and you're six centimeters and then 15 minutes later, you're complete and you're pushing and your baby comes out. That state all being readily in the baby's system can cause them to come out. The first word that came to mind to me, honestly, was floppy, but that's probably not medically correct. They cause the babies to come out with the opioids still on board. And that is very hard for them to adjust and start breathing on their own. It causes them to be very drowsy and not very alert at birth, which we obviously do not like. But when this study is referencing epidurals compared to people receiving opioids, that's basically what they're talking about. They're just talking about mainly state all being given throughout labor and that is obviously not going to give you as good of a relief as the epidural is because statol and the opioids are not going to numb you necessarily. They're just going to work systemically to reduce the perception of pain that you are actually having. And the opioid medications that we do give do give a lot of people nausea and vomiting and epidurals do give you less of that. So with opioids, we try to give you Zofran or an antiemetic to keep you from getting that nausea and vomiting. 
when they compared postnatal depression, headaches, itching, shivering, drowsiness, and other side effects, they found that there was actually no difference between the people who received the epidural and the opioids for those side effects. There's also no difference in newborn intensive care unit admissions and APGOR scores of less than seven at five minutes between any of these groups. So it's very obvious when comparing all the different ways of pain management during labor that an epidural is going to be the best pain management and pain relief that you really can get if that is solely what you're looking for, just the pain relief. Epidural is going to give you the most relief throughout labor. The second main benefit of an epidural is rest. So when you have an epidural, it obviously relieves your pain so much that a lot of women are able to actually sleep through labor, which you are not doing if you do not have an epidural. You are not sleeping. You are going to remain awake and you're going to labor and you can labor a long time and it can be completely exhausting. So I do... I do get a lot of patients, especially on their first babies who come in and they really, really, really want to go natural. And they do for a while. Let's say they can even get to six or seven, eight centimeters. And by the time that they get there, they are so exhausted. They're so tired. It's already been 10 to 12 hours of consistent nonstop labor that they, they just, they, they need the epidural. They'll literally look at me and say, I am so tired. I cannot do this for another 30 minutes. I need the epidural. I need to rest and I need to sleep. And sometimes that's truly what is best for them. They'll get the epidural and they will take a nap and they'll wake up two hours later and literally be 10 centimeters. So it's just, it's crazy how it works. And some people, um, this is where I get so thankful for for modern day medicine and the fact that we're able to do this because some women, especially first time moms, they really do need that rest during labor because it can be more of a marathon than a sprint. And it really is nice when they're able to rest and truly relax their body and get to that 10 centimeter mark without being completely exhausted. That way they do have energy reserved to actually push. The third benefit of an epidural that I wanted to talk about is kind of goes along with the rest, but it's basically your ability to relax. So relaxing is what you need to be able to dilate. You is very hard to dilate when you are tensing up, when you're fighting your contractions, you're tense. And when you are actually able to relax and rest and sleep, your body literally allows you to dilate. Your pelvic floor will relax, your cervix will relax, and your baby will be able to really drop down to press against that cervix and to get you to that 10 centimeter mark. So epidurals are amazing for that, for just allowing your body to be so numb that you don't fight your contractions anymore, that you actually just relax and kind of give in to each contraction. The fourth benefit of an epidural is the pushing phase. And this kind of works both ways. And I'm going to kind of get into this when I talk about the risks of an epidural. But some people, it really does. Epidurals really do help their pushing phase. So I know that a lot of people here always slows you down. You're too numb to feel where you need to push. And that can be true for some women. Um, but it also can be a benefit for some women because you don't feel the pain when you push necessarily like you do without one without an epidural. So you're able to push with all your strength and not fear that pain. A lot of people who go natural, when they get to the pushing phase, either they find great relief in pushing and they love pushing or they start pushing and it hurts and they want to back away from it. They, they want to fight that and they really fear pushing. So epidurals can be great for somebody who is scared of that, that they don't feel that pain when they push. So they're able just to push with everything that they have and not fear the pain so let's talk about the flip side, the risks of an epidural. And there are mainly like three to four points I'm going to hit on here real quick. But number one, people with epidurals are more likely to experience low blood pressures, 
a fever, urinary retention, and a heavy motor block. So you're more likely to experience low low blood pressure just because when we give you the epidural and we give you the loading dose, we call it, or the test dose, your epidural is a fentanyl infusion. And that can cause a lot of people's blood pressure to drop pretty significantly. And it makes you not feel well at all. I've had patients who freak out after they get their epidural because we lay you back, your blood pressure drops. Let me tell you right now, the babies do not like that. That's the first sign normally. Their heart rate will suddenly just take a little dip. And we do have medications that we give you for that to bring your blood pressure back up. And they usually work very well and very quickly. The other thing that you can get with an epidural is a fever and urinary retention. So from what I understand, we're not exactly sure why an epidural causes a fever, but it's been thought to be an alter in your thermoregulation and just giving an opioid that can cause the phenomenon of you getting a fever. And then urinary retention, and that is caused just because when you are in labor, obviously you are not getting out of bed, you're not going to the bathroom. So we do put a catheter in you almost not even almost everybody who gets an epidural is given also a urinary catheter. And we insert that after you're very numb. So hopefully you will not feel us. It just goes into your bladder and it stays until you start pushing and that will continuously drain your bladder throughout your entire labor. Now, after we remove that, it's rare, but some women do have trouble urinating after and they will retain urine after. And sometimes we will have to put the Foley back in for a little while, let the bladder rest and then try to remove it again and just kind of get your urinary tract re- I don't even know the word to use for this. Restarted, I guess. <laughs> and then you can get a heavy motor blockade. And heavy motor blockade is basically where your legs become so heavy and so difficult to move that you literally can't move the lower part of your body. So with an epidural, most women can still bend their knees, move their legs, wiggle their toes, have some type of movement down there. But some women, and it varies per person, but some women can get such a heavy motor blockade where they literally... I used the term earlier, but they're literally dead weight. Like their legs are dead weight. And it can be really hard to push when your body is so dead weight down there. You don't have much feeling down there. And it can be really hard for your nurse to flip you and get you into different positions when you have that heavy motor blockade. The second risk of an epidural, like I talked about the pushing phase benefits with an epidural, there is also downfalls with the epidural with pushing. So some women experience a lot longer pushing phase and research suggests that epidurals could potentially decrease your pushing efforts by reducing the effectiveness of your uterine contractions during pushing. And it's also believed that epidurals will relax your pelvic floor, which sounds good, but they think that it might also affect the way that the baby comes down into the birth canal and essentially rotates to actually come out. Going along with a longer pushing phase, a lot of women who have epidurals are expected to have a longer first and second stage of labor. You're also more likely to have an oxytocin augmentation to speed up your labor, which is where oxytocin is the same as Pitocin. We will give you Pitocin through your IV to just kind of help your contractions regulate, to help your contractions pick back up and to really speed up your labor. Oxytocin is a natural hormone that you produce during labor and that you produce after labor after you have your baby. So sometimes we will have to use that to augment and speed up your labor just because epidurals can be known to slow that down. One large study led by Zhang was published in 2010. These researchers looked at 62,000 people that gave birth across the United States. About 80% of the people in the study actually had an epidural. And the average second stage of labor was one hour and six minutes for first-time moms. And second stage is the pushing stage. So first stage is labor, second stage is pushing, and then the third stage is the delivery of your placenta. 
So on average, their pushing phase of labor was one hour and six minutes for first-time moms with an epidural, and it was only 36 minutes for first-time moms without an epidural. So that's a pretty significant difference. There's also a study done in California that showed that an epidural added about 73 minutes onto the pushing phase of labor for first-time moms. Statistics have also showed that people in epidural groups are more likely to experience a forcep or a vacuum delivery to help the baby come out at the end of pushing phase. This type of birth is likely to cause severe tears in your perineum and it can sometimes cause complications for the babies. But what a forcep delivery is, it's basically, it's kind of what it sounds like. It's basically where we use forceps and we kind of, well, not we, let me rephrase. The doctor uses the forceps to attach and kind of get a grip on the sides of the baby's head and they use it to pull the baby out. And then a vacuum is basically where we attach a circular it doesn't look like a vacuum um it just looks like a circular disc basically we attach it to the end of the baby's head when the baby gets stuck kind of at that end and we pull the doctor pulls and tries to just pull the baby out now with an epidural the rates of forcep and vacuum delivery is of course going to be higher just because like i touched on you sometimes don't push as good with an epidural you are very numb and you might not have all the feeling down there to really push and get your baby out so it is more likely that at the very end we will have to assist you by pulling your baby out now in this particular study there was no difference in cesarean rates for women who got epidurals and did not get epidurals the rate of cesarean rate though was only 11 to 13 percent in these studies which is honestly a lot lower than a typical birth setting so i don't really know exactly how accurate that is it's possible that the risk of cesarean would actually increase with epidural rates in most settings i i believe that that is the case i feel like in the real world of the hospital that a lot more c-sections are done in patients who have epidurals just because of the complications that can arise with an epidural one of the last risks i wanted to talk about was epidurals and breastfeeding so a lot of women say that they think that their epidural interferes with their breastfeeding and it is true that the epidural medication can pass through the placenta and get into the newborn circulation and it is true that the epidural medication which is most commonly fentanyl is found in breast milk And this information actually does come from ACOG, which is the American Congress of Obstetrics and Gynecology. So the medications that cross through the placenta to the baby can affect the newborn's ability to suck and latch onto the breast. The medications can also lead to the mother developing a fever during labor, which I already kind of touched on, but fevers can affect the baby, cause health problems for the newborn, making breastfeeding maybe a little bit more difficult. We do, if you develop a fever during labor, give you Tylenol or a fever reducing medication. The medications can influence the mom's hormones, which may affect breastfeeding. So it's more so, yes, the fentanyl, but when you have an epidural, you are, like I mentioned earlier, more likely to get a Pitocin augmentation, which is a hormone that you produce after birth, which helps you just bond with your baby. And that can affect your hormone regulation. Also, when you get an epidural before you get an epidural to kind of prevent your blood pressure from dropping, like I touched on earlier, we do give you a fluid bolus. So we give you about a whole liter of fluid just to help get your blood volume up before we give you the epidural, your fluid volume up really. And that fluid bolus can dilute your hormones that are circulating in your system, which can affect breastfeeding to some woman at least. Now, that's very hard to actually scientifically like have evidence and look at like how their hormone levels different 
before and after an epidural and things like that. I truly couldn't find a study that really looked at hormone levels affecting breastfeeding from either the the actual epidural medicine of fentanyl, the oxytocin, or the fluid bolus, just because they're not measuring maternal hormones really after delivery. But some women do believe these things that their hormones were altered from the epidural, from the pitocin, or from the fluid bolus. And like I mentioned earlier as well, epidurals are linked to higher rates of vacuum and forceps delivery. So this can definitely impact breastfeeding for mothers that have that worse perineal tear from the forceps or vacuum delivery. There's more stitches that you're going to need. And because of that, you are going to have to have a longer repair. And this might delay breastfeeding. It might delay skin to skin in some cases. Now, most cases we can keep the baby skin to skin on you and just go about kind of regular business while you get repaired. But there are times where that tearing is so bad that you may need to go back to the OR for a little bit. Or, you know, we may just not leave your baby on you just because if it's an extensive repair, we might need to be giving you other medications. Or if you have more bleeding, we might need to be helping work on you a little bit more to where we're not going to put the baby skin to skin on you at that moment. So it might delay some of that. And then the baby might have head or neck bruising from the forceps or the vacuum that will make it difficult for them to breastfeed. Now that, that isn't normally a problem. I mean, they do have bruising sometimes from that, but normally it doesn't really impact the baby's breastfeeding too much. So just to summarize, because I know that was a lot of information, an epidural, also called an epidural block, is when a catheter is left in your lower back in the epidural space with continuous medication infusing into your back throughout labors. The benefits of an epidural are pain management, being able to rest, being able to relax, and not having to feel the pushing phase of labor. Now, the risks of an epidural are that you are more likely to experience low blood pressure, a fever, urinary retention, and a heavy motor blockade. Research has also shown that you are more likely to have a longer pushing phase if you have an epidural. First time moms on average was about 30 to 73 minutes longer on that pushing phase of labor. You're also more likely to have a forceps or vacuum delivery with an epidural. And then lastly, epidurals are thought to interfere with breastfeeding in ways that might alter maternal hormones or due to the medication crossing the placenta and potentially affecting the newborn's ability to suck and latch onto the breast. If an epidural is not something that you really want and it might be your first baby or even your third baby, just some quick simple tips that you can keep in mind during labor to help you avoid getting an epidural is try to relax into your contractions, melt into your bed, melt into the partner, melt into the floor, whatever surface you're standing on, laying on anything, melt into it. Try to relax during your contractions. Focus on relaxing your face, relaxing your hands. Don't tense up your face. Don't squeeze a tight grip and tense up your hands. Another thing is view your contractions as waves or surges or even like power. It's pain with a purpose. It's pain with the purpose of dilation and pain with the purpose of getting to meet your baby. So don't fight your contractions. That goes along with relaxing into them. Don't fight them. Don't see them as a pain that you are just like waiting to come every two to three minutes. See them as purpose, as power, as waves or surges. Don't even call them contractions. Call them waves or surges. Focus on deep, low sounds. So you need to moan your baby out, honestly. When you're going natural, you need to moan deeply and don't focus on high-pitched sounds. Get into that low, low tone sounds. When you push, push like you're going underwater or push like you're blowing out a candle. Relax your face when you push. Relax your feet when you push. Don't push into your legs. Push right into that bottom. Pushing can feel a lot like relief. So push into every contraction. Push into that pain that you feel and try to find that relief at the end of it. That is really all I have to say on epidurals. It was a ton of information. This was not a short 
sweet podcast like I kind of wanted it to be. But I hope that you do feel more educated on epidural, what an epidural is, kind of the risks and benefits of an epidural. And you can make an educated, informed decision for yourself, whether you want an epidural or whether you don't. And you might go into the hospital not wanting one and you might end up getting one. And that is 1000% okay. Because in the end, like I always say, the only thing that really matters when you come out of labor and delivery is that you have a healthy mom and a healthy baby. That is your end goal. And how you get there, what route you take might change a hundred times in the process and that is okay. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of What the Bump and I cannot wait to come back and talk to you more about labor, delivery, birth, and postpartum. Thanks. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it and I will see you next week to talk more about the bump. And of course, I know you all probably know this, but I have to add it in. I make every effort to broadcast correct information through this podcast, but I am still learning so much. So I am in no way providing medical advice through this podcast, just sharing the things that myself and others have experienced or learned. Make sure to consult your physician before taking anything from this podcast and changing your health. This applies to any guests or contributors that I also have on this podcast. Thank you. And I will see you next week.